everyone. Welcome to the Skeptically Inclined Science Podcast. I'm your host, Evan. And my name is Tom. And we're on episode 52. Hope you're having a great day wherever you're listening to today's episode from. On today's episode, Tom, what uh, what are you covering? What are you letting the people know about? So I won't talk about the culture of publish or perish in academia. So we're stepping away from the usual talking about yeah, different experiments and breakthroughs and just we look in at academia and the pressure. some of the uh, pressure and toxic cultures that <laughs> you can find in there. The pressure cooker of uh, research life. Oh yeah, isn't that fun? Yeah, it's just coming from a personal personal perspective considering uh, you're coming to the end of your PhD right now. Maybe a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I definitely thought of because it's going to be about papers, but I definitely thought about publications as something much more glorious before mm. I started the PhD. And it's right like, now it's just, it has to be done. Yeah. It's like, it's looking how the sausage is made, isn't it? Like a little bit. Yeah. And you're like, oh, it's ruined. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, uh, and then for me today, I'm going to just cover some news headlines. So I'm going to cover this uh, interesting headline where I seen drug drugs give biology's favorite worms the munchies too, um, <laughs> which I thought was very interesting. What does that mean? Does it mean sure. anything? And I also wanted to cover this drug mifepristone. Um, it's used in uh, a, bo- a lot of abortions in the U.S. and there was talk of a bit about it being uh, banned or outlawed in the US so I just wanted to kind of give a quick overview uh, of what happened and uh, what are the ramifications if this did happen so right should be kind of varied news headlines it'll, uh, it'll be it'll be interesting to see the implications of this track <laughs> yeah yeah uh, yeah so um before we jump into that yeah how are you as I mentioned <clears throat> not going too crazy yet with the the last few months of a PhD. I tell you one thing, if you thought of me as a boring person before, now I must put you to sleep because <laughs> all I do is uh, I just go to work, I type, and then I come back home. And, and that's it. maybe that's it. Maybe you're, I type a little bit more. You're in the grind set now. So I think so, but it's going well. Yeah. It's going well. I uh, I think you've come to I, the real, like that's the, the acceptance of like, this is my life until i finish really isn't it that's pretty much yeah there's it no, feels like no way of getting away from it so um surprisingly i do get angry but not about the the, the writing bits everything around it everything around me annoys me except for my uh except for my work which is, i think it's a good thing and uh, <laughs> so you're easily annoyed well you know i i i joined the vegan soup reddit all uh, right because i was looking for recipes <laughs> Um, because yeah, I, I struggle a little bit with monotony. I don't want to eat the same thing all the time. So oh, I get inspiration. I, I, I go on the on the vegan subreddit, and I'm sure people will be posting recipes. Yeah, and yeah. My God, like I I could I lasted only like five minutes, and then I was just so angry. I had to stop <laughs> reading all of these posts because it's just they just talk about people from this ivory tower, and and everyone who is not them is worse than them, and I'm just like where are my recipes this is not what i came here for <laughs> it's and just basically look how much better i am basically very much so eco chamber yeah and um 
this is not the kind of vegan I want to be. <laughs> right. So you're, bringing, then you're I, an inclusive vegan. Yeah. So then I immediately joined the ex-vegan subreddit just to balance myself <laughs> out. Just <laughs> it's like a cult, is it? <laughs> a little bit, yeah. But um, I still haven't got any good recipes from that subreddit. <laughs> okay. So if anyone is out there with some uh, good recipes and they're not protected by a family secret or anything like that, right. just send them my let, way. Let Dom know. Yeah, it's uh, ridiculous. <laughs> that's funny. You're, uh, you're, you're like toad, toad, a little toad, your big toad's just a little bit in vegan, but you just can't want to commit yet because of the people. <laughs> well, I have committed to the diet. Like, I'm really good, but it's just, I can't, I would not be in the same room with like these hardcore vegans i think it's just it's it's too much for me mm. too much kind of um you associate your personality with the ideology and i okay. just don't think yeah that's too much me. yeah a little yeah bit. so we won't see you at a an animal rights protest anytime soon well i did i did go to an event called uh animal free science yeah so and i thought it was really good i learned i learned a couple of new things and I talked to philosophers and stuff like that because it was literally everyone from different branches of science was in invited and that that was really cool you know we didn't set anything on fire or we didn't throw tomato sauce on anything and i thought it was really cultured and i enjoyed it and people were super nice so i think i'm just gonna pick and choose the um activities i i would what, be participating because i'm kind of curious because when you told me like what how, like when going in was it your thoughts about using animals for experiments something like okay it's for the greater good but did it, did that change your mind or no i still think we have to use animals for certain okay. experiments it wasn't good enough to well, convince you i think it it was good enough for what for what it was it, like li which was literally explaining the current state of affairs in terms of how uh, what how, for what experiments we do still have to use animals for which we don't have to and how is the field changing um not so, only not only in like life sciences but also in uh, a lot of the computational science people who do computational science were involved were invited um mm. for for other speakers as well because their prediction models become so good and so advanced that sometimes you don't have to test all of these molecules in animals you can have a you can you can run a pretty good prediction model and and um, narrow down the, ex, the the molecules that you actually have to you test in animals mm, right, right. so i don't think the point of the event was to uh you know just create this Never again eco chamber and be like we don't need animals for anything let them just be free it was more like what can we do to hmm. you know just not to use as many animals in the for experiments and so yeah as well where we're where we're at now and what what the future could look like in in that we don't have to use it in the future there'll be better options and um it's it's we're getting there is that yeah okay very okay. enjoyable evening nice anyway. nice yeah and i just for me as well update what well, i got i got lasik done on my eyes so mm -hmm. first uh well not the first podcast without my glasses but getting used to having no glasses so very unusual but great to have Save can, me, can yeah. you see like properly yeah yeah see properly it seemed like because it does seem like i'm still wearing contacts sometimes but not like i i still feel like i have contacts in like it's not really sunk in that i'm not wearing contacts sometimes but like when you wake up and it's perfect and when i go go to the toilet at night and i can see <laughs> it's 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 still it's still weird 
not to get i don't know when i'll be like oh wow this is my eyesight now so were you so bad that you needed to have glasses to go to the toilet at night no but like i'd go up and i'd be like you'd be still groggy and you're from sleep and then you're like trying to right like i'm still not perfectly could see i could still could you aim i could still aim I, i'd still be fine <laughs> okay or if i didn't if i'd miss i'd blame it um but yeah <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's a great it's it's um it's amazing that they cut the laser and then they trim your cornea to so so that you, you the mm. light will bend to hit your retina i'm telling this to an eye person but let for people who are listening um and they say you can smell your eyeball being lasered but i just couldn't smell it thankfully gee okay <laughs> that would, be, that would be a lot yeah it's not a nice procedure but it for the long-term effects it's great how long did it take it only takes 15 minutes overall like i was in half half two so i didn't even need to take a full day off work so that's it in and yeah. out yeah. and so, so you, did you lay down there with your eyes open the eyes open, they held yeah. open with the kind of a mechanism thing yeah they have some like i don't know what they put in it's like a glass not a glass but like some plastic thing to keep your eye mm. open but it must have a hole in it that, that they use to shoot the laser in shoot lasers um <laughs> and then okay. yeah you can still see if you i open my eyes where because it's still not fully healed the white where they cut into the mm-hmm. eye like slice into it but like the recovery is super fast within a day it wasn't bra- fine like it's just that okay. it's cloud like it's very um cloudy when mm-hmm. your your vision is but not um, now not now start. no no at the start it's like you're okay. in a sauna you know like kind of like steamy that's how you would describe it yeah Um, but when they tell you it's like okay when they do the the cut when they cut the eye um your your eye vision goes black and that that was just like the one that going in my head because i'm like oh if what if my vision never comes back in that moment i know and i only realized that at the time because they show you the video so you're like and they give me a volume and it didn't do anything for me (laughs) i didn't really calm me down at all so i don't know (laughs) was your heart pounding like yeah yeah i once did i i, I nearly had a i thought i was going to have a i was kind of having a panic attack because i couldn't really oh. breathe oh my on the thing God. and i i was like i was going to tell him but then literally then within a second he had the second one done and it was over like okay. basically so okay. i got i was like okay just get it done they should have someone there just to uh like pet your forehead <laughs> yeah 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 just i know i'm not messing like i think it was it would be genuinely great because when i had my implants done and like it was quite someone like, to hold your hand was it painful yeah it was like the nurse was there and she was like petting my forehead <laughs> and i was like oh my god this is like the nicest thing anyone has ever done to me and like thanks to her i survived that <laughs> procedure yeah yeah <laughs> anyways yeah so i recommend it it's amazing that you have these options now like so yeah. uh don't don't hinder yourself based on based on what you think like there's always options out there just don't take it too far to augment yourself as some people <laughs> seem to do yeah um, boundaries and limits yeah and before i get into the news headlines mm-hmm. i want to actually jump back uh to a previous uh news sto- or a story i did about the um harvesting sperm for oh, yes. um pregnancy from from i don't know what was a post-mortem ejaculation or post-mortem sperm retrieval yeah there was a story where so like people think oh uh these stu- no- stories are never relevant where as here i have a 
I have an example, and I, when I refer to we, I mean just people in my head. <laughs> but uh, yeah, a Spanish TV actress, she has said her newly adopted daughter was conceived using her dead son's frozen sperm, as in, in fact, her granddaughter. And it's like been a big, uh, de- le- it caused a big debate in Spain about the bioethics of surrogacy. Um, so yeah, it was her only biological son died of cancer in 2020 and he was re- actually related to the king of spain and she got through a surrogate's pregnancy in miami um and she was able to have a, a child with her grandson um sperm and he she said that he wanted to um she said it was my last my son's last will and testament how could i not do it so it's uh, a bit has we, anyone we, seen look, that yeah well look we went to i'm not going to repeat all the arguments for and against um we already discussed it in the episode mm. if you want to listen to it it's episode actually 50 yeah episode fi- so if you want to check it out we go into that episode 50 uh the episode was called sperm from an unlikely source so <laughs> i think it's a bit on you unethical I don't know. Can you I don't take think I have problems with it. Oh, you don't have problems. Okay, look. Well, no, I, did, I, I, I think I didn't have a problems with it when we were recording the episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, no, I think you had the episode was also about using decades old sperm. You didn't. Oh, have I didn't have a problem with that. It was yeah. the, with the, the sperm retrieval. So, yeah. yeah, let us know if you agree. If you disagree, um, does it does it does it matter if the child has a healthy life? Does it really matter where who the father is? Um, let and us who's know. the mother? Is the surrogate the mother? Or- I don't know who the mother doesn't say. Okay. Um, I hope it's not the grandma, right? Yeah, I hope it's not the But I don't think she'd be childbearing age, but yeah. That's also We true. won't go into okay. it. No, no, no. Um, okay. Yeah, let us know on our uh, Instagram, Skeptically Inclined, Twitter, Skeptically I, and Gmail, Skeptically Inclined at gmail.com. So, on that note, we'll jump in. I think we have a long intro. Um, <laughs> So this is this the heading drugs give biology's favorite worms the munchies. I smell an Ig Nobel Prize for this <laughs> this work <laughs> that was done. So um, roundworms they were exposed to cannabis chemicals got the munchies. Which, okay. Well, and this is I'm sure you're you you're the best person to tell the story. <laughs> you living in the Netherlands. I'm sure you've experienced the munchies a few times. I'm always hungry. Can't stop eating. <laughs> Stay dressed. But yeah, so as they define munchies, a persistent hunger for tasty food, just like people do, a study has found. So like, they get the munchies just like we did. And were, were, were they after like frozen pizzas, crisps, <laughs> ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they could. Jaffa cakes. <laughs> <laughs> Harry Bo jellies, anything unhealthy. Yeah, it didn't. It said actually, yeah, when under the influence, they oh god, this is the name of the worm, Caner Habdis elegans worm. It chose to feed for longer than normal and showed a stronger preference for their favorite high quality food over less nutrition options. So actually. No, they didn't go for the unhealthy, so they're actually better than you for that. Yeah, so the study was published on the 20th of April in Current Biology, and it's a, well, actually, like, this is a funny story, but actually has 
it's an interesting because it suggests that the mechanism by which cannabis affects appetite evolved more than 500 million years ago when the evolutionary paths of the swarm sea elegans and humans diverged uh, and the co- this commonality across the animal ki- kingdom suggests that C. elegans, the worm, could it be used to study how cannabis affects the human nervous system. So, like, again, using your, well, I don't know, animal-free, well, we don't know, do we count worms as uh, animal-free? <laughs> um, maybe don't get into that. But, yeah, that it could be a useful model for studying this is if this is what we're trying to assess i wouldn't try to over exaggerate the significance okay. of test results coming from what worms like it is important definitely and it does say something about the molecular evolution of the cannab- cannabinoids receptors so clearly they have been there for a long time maybe i just wanted to explain to yeah. people um as well what the what what how, how does cannabis work so cannabinoid molecules they're which are derived from the cannabis plant they bind to the same receptors as molecules naturally found in the body called endocannabinoids and these receptors are found in the brain and in many other tissues and the endocannabinoid system is taught to regulate key functions such as sleep memory anxiety and eating (laughs) so they reckon that that's one of the the offset um effects of these cannabinoid molecules binding to the receptor they they give you less anxiety you're more relaxed and you want to eat um eat yeah <laughs> um so yeah it's the, the, the if you want to hear the study how they did it mm-hmm. so the research group it um involved putting the sea elegans in a t-shaped maze con- containing two food options and observing which the worms choose to approach to investigate the behavioral effects of cannabinoids the researchers immerse the worms in a solution of the endocannabinoid um, solution before placing it in the maze and then the, mer- the worms that received the endocannabinoid baths did seem to pre- develop a bigger appetite when in the maze they stro- showed a stronger preference for nutritionally super bacteria superior bacteria than they did their sober pairs and spent more time eating um, and they also showed less interest in nu- nu- nutritionally inferior bacteria and um, so they showed that it had it it was working on the the receptors in the in the worm and they showed that the te- the researchers also tested it on worms genetically engineered to have human cannabinoid receptors mm-hmm. and they, res- they responded in the same way so they said that this effect must be because of the receptors so um yeah it just shows that maybe this could be a model to use um to study it and maybe interestingly to find out how this developed why, in humans i don't know why what, why wouldn't you just test it on humans um good question i'm sure there's a reason maybe it's not uh uh it could be dangerous i don't know <laughs> i'm sure they have the reasons for which they want to test it in in the uh, in the elegant but you don't I think, think it's it, it'd be can... cheaper as well that's an that's another way and maybe if you wanted to like go through loads of different strains and and have an effect yeah, but no, like true. but there like are reasons that, but like it's not going to the, the worm can't like give you detailed answers it's just more like physiological how, readout how, yeah how how it responds so yeah who knows it, it could be one of those that was a not i'm there's, there's no no such thing as pointless research so i'm sure it did have some help but it's no definitely it's a quirky interesting paper and i definitely wouldn't be surprised uh 
Ig Nobel. Here he come. Yeah. So yeah, uh, that was Look, everyone. Everybody deserves to get high. And <laughs> it's nice to know that the worms can do it as well. Yeah, exactly. That's interesting. That's interesting research though. Yeah. Keep going. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then the other news I wanted to cover was the drug mifepristone use in abortion was nearly limited. So this is a more serious topic. Um, so if you don't know, mifepristone is used with myoprostol in 54% of all abortions in the US, um, which uh, is quite significant. If you want to get abortion, generally you'd use this drug to get um, in a combination with misopristone, misopristol to, to get it. So, uh, and a misopristol alone can be used in medica- medical abortions, but this can lead to more side effects. So, as we've all heard, abortion was legal uh, in the US until 24th of June 2022, when the Supreme Court then decided to overturn Roe versus Wade and returned abortion decisions to individual states. Um, which means abortion still remains legal in about half the states, but then it's been more restricted in others. Um, it's the blue-red division, right? Pretty much, yeah. yeah uh, it's yeah. become politicized. Um, and then a decision was then made by a federal judge in Texas. He decided to suspend the pr- approval of the drug that was had been approved by the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration. It, it came after the judge, his name was... Matthew Kazmarek. He was known to oppose abortion. He ruled that the US FDA had wrongly approved mifepristone in 2000 and that the drug's approval should be annulled and that the drug would no longer be available. And it again had been, this had been brought against the FDA by an alliance for Hippocratic medicine and other groups that oppose abortion and question the safety of this drug. Um, and th- this was appealed then to the U.S. Court of uh, Appeals in the uh, New Orleans, Louisiana, and the actually the court decided to um, keep the part that uh, meant that the FDA's approval of this drug um, and said that it should be only available by mail, required in-person visits to doctors, and could be only used until seven weeks of pregnancy rather than ten. So they were really um, they weren't going to sorry they weren't going to outlaw it, but they were going to make it very much more difficult. Mm-hmm to mm-hmm. get access to it and in response to this uh states then started to stockpile it because they thought <coughs> oh is it going to end up getting banned and we want to mm-hmm. keep it available because it's why so widely uses for abortions um and then it was referred to the supreme court um who de- delayed their decision until the 19th of april which was only just um thursday or wednesday last when we're recording this and um there was a worry that she could be banned going into the summer because of what had happened previously but now um they actually decided seemed like they didn't want to jump back into another politically charged subject and they threw out the decision by the federal appeals court that said there will be only a limited uh use of the drug to women less than seven weeks pregnant and required three in-person physician revisits for those seeking the drug and those by post so luckily it hasn't been banned. It hasn't been outlawed. But how many judges on the Supreme Court? I think it's like nine. I think so. Um, so two of the judges actually they they voted against it. The other seven voted for um, access to the drug. Mm-hmm. Um, but this would have serious implications if they did vote for it because this would mean that states could overrule any drug that was approved approved by the FDA 
vaccines, anything they didn't disagree with. And uh, I think it would open up a whole uh, can of worms, as we were saying, um, if this was, was to happen. And they said, yeah, it would have caused irreparable harm to the FDA because it would undermine everything that they've previously approved. So yeah, if, what do you need FDA for in if yeah exactly if if they're just gonna just be like no like, uh we don't we don't agree yeah. with your decision we we obviously know better because i that they don't well from they, they think they would know better yeah um so yeah it's but the case now is it's back in the hands of this appeals court that had limited it to seven weeks and three physician visits per person for if you're trying to get an abortion so they're saying that this end up could end up going back to the Supreme Court, um, that they would they would challenge it to making it av- available. So, um, they're going to have oral arguments, um, in May, and this could end up being reviewed and and going up to the U.S. Supreme Court. And it's like, if it could land up on the High Court again, there could be again a, a chance that it will will be curtailed availability so it's it's so scary right now what's what's happening yeah in the u.s um like and again stockpiling drugs um that's never a good thing because like people who actually need it won't be able to get it so (laughs) yeah hydroxychloroquine all these drugs uh wasn't there like with the vaccine stockpiling it so it's just the way how much science is getting absolutely um just stripped back and and limited for those who need it it's just a complete anti-scientific movement right now and uh politics is getting involved in a decision that should be just between a woman and her physician it shouldn't be up to a politician at all so like it's not they're not even open to change their mind yeah so it's just it's just it's just kind of worrying because yeah if if like yeah you can leave you can have access in states blue states but then what if this drug does get out outlawed uh, and it's limited in its supply it could have huge ramifications and again what if what if this means that people bring court cases to any other drug that they just don't agree with so yeah. it's uh it's kind of a scary time Look, to be in it's, America. It's their background, so they have to um, solve it somehow. But yeah, you know. I, I'm glad that that like you never know what could happen in Europe. Um, I'd like to think we have more common sense, but um, and we don't have a Supreme Court where it's like they would they would be able to like intervene in such decisions. Usually, it's referendums here. So, but also uh, European Union, like they. Every 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 country quite has liberal, own. yeah, they're quite liberal. But like, yeah. it, there there is a movement, I suppose, in in some ways, uh, to to right wing, like anti anti government, anti yeah. being told what to do, um, and like who knows, the whole pandemic has showed us that people aren't happy to be uh restricted on scientific advice so in the next next situation where that happens who knows um what what could what could happen i suppose it's a hugely hypothetical so and it this is like just very bad 
scenario for women who, yeah yeah who it's, it's, the, it's, it's like the how is it getting harder for them yeah when we're more knowledge now it's safer than ever yeah uh, like and it's only and the majority of americans agree with abortion so it's only a small few who seem to be able to dictate for everyone so yeah, it's populists for you right they they know what their um, people want to hear from them yeah yeah these yeah it's it's kind of sad and then i yeah it's kind of sad it it is sad yeah because then people are like well they they're doing this why would i vote for them but like if you you should be able to vote make sure your vote always counts to try and stop these people getting in because it has huge effects because they're going to push the more extreme it's the way politics now is more extreme people get in and their extreme ideas are going to be the ones that yeah uh, the outliers anyways, the ones who shout the lot they shout the louder yeah enough politics but yeah i just wanted to let people know what was what was going on it's it's a it's a weird time <laughs> to be mm, in america yeah um yeah so shout out to you americans we're thinking of you and stay uh, strong stay strong <laughs> yeah so, the kind yeah. of a re- quick news over overview. Uh, uh, another emotional. Uh, <laughs> well, we had the light and the heavy. <laughs> yeah, you starting off smoking weed with worms, and now you're telling me about poor women not being able to perform abortions if they wish to. So yeah. you take me all over the place. Yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna I'm gonna Roller try coaster. to balance it now a little yeah. bit. You're gonna hit um, us with some stray facts. <laughs> Yes, personal experience. Publish or perish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I only publish in predatory journals because I need my articles. <laughs> uh, that's not true. But I, uh, I'm going to open with two um, quotes and you tell me, Evan, what do you think about them, okay? Okay. So, number one. It, it is by both quotes are by unknown people. <laughs> or not important enough to for their name to be recorded. <laughs> okay. When you can measure what you're speaking about and express it in numbers, you know something about it. But when you cannot measure it, when you cannot express it in numbers, your knowledge is a meager and unsatisfactory kind. And then the second one is, a scientific contribution only counts as science if and only if its impact and can be expressed in numbers. All right. I do agree to some extent, right? Um, like uh, any, if you don't have some numbers, you need to you need to have some way to ex to measure something, and the best way, and you need that's not that's impartial, uh, not subjective bias, and the best way is to have some kind of uh, an automated way, or like I don't know, some kind of way to measure something without human input uh and you that's a good way to have it by like measuring intensity measuring uh counts cell counts or whatever so for sure um you you always want to have something that impartially measures something gives you a gives you a readout and that way you can determine what you need to determine if if it's a if it's a good result if it's a bad result does it have a significance um, for what you're doing, yeah. so um, like, you can't I don't just think... say that your experiment was nice. You need to put some. And yeah, you on can't it. just like say anecdotally, like, "Oh, I think this is what this means." Is or I, I feel. Think, I feel like this is mean. This is this means that uh, we have a cure for cancer. Like, no, like you can't say that because you have no way to back it up. Whereas, yeah, 
if you have the numerical info, you have something to back it up. Uh, yeah, this like something to interpret it. Yeah, and uh, to to back up your your uh, your arguments. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, it, I don't like. I wouldn't say just completely dismiss not having results because it's always useful. But maybe not like in a scientific journal. Maybe not. Maybe in debates. I don't know. What's there is some so, use. I wouldn't completely say it's. Yeah. So I also agree that <coughs> okay <like> numerical <laughs> values in science are important because based on our results this is how we are able to put our data sets together and then yeah. publish them showcase to our peers uh, the community and kind of spread the word around which is especially important it is important in any case but especially important if we know that we have some breakthrough on our hands yeah. and and such so and, and really numbers don't have feelings so and num <laughs> na, yeah or they, it's they, a paraphrase they, on the feel uh, facts don't have feelings is it yeah 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 yeah, yeah basically <laughs> yeah where you, it's 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 there's no it's not trying to hurt your feelings it's it's just impartial there yeah <laughs> so accepted <laughs> so i started with like this uh, quote about numbers because i think it translate or reflects how the how, how much pressure there is to publish in academia and how much how under how much pressure the researchers are to develop these results uh keep producing them on a continuous basis and uh, it's all well it's not all about but sometimes it does feel uh, it's like all about results give me the results 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 so we can publish 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 but even when I was thinking about it, whether I should talk about this publish or perish culture, and uh, I was just thinking to myself, I, I wondered if, if this pressure was real or was it just, you know, like my perception because I wanted to feel s sorry for myself and have some excuses that, but then um, I was reviewing some empirical data and I was discussing this with my family and friends outside of academia. And I realized that my concerns were valid, that yeah, uh, that you know, publish or perish, publish or perish culture exists, and there is a lot of stress in academia. They're not if you if you don't publish, you're not getting grad, you're not getting your PhDs. So like, that that's a that's a real thing. So that's a real thing to say like, oh, I'm I'm being over dramatic, where you have that looming over you, like you you're going to have that pressure. So that um, that's true. So I wonder if you, so I have some stats for you. In 2016, uh, approximately 1.3 million peer-reviewed scientific articles were published, and that aided, it was aided by uh, a large rise in the number of available scientific journals from 16,000 in 2001 to 23,750 in Christ. 2006. That's so crazy. it is estimated that there are currently more than 30,000 academic journals and by the number and the number continues to increase by about five to seven percent per year yeah uh, jump to 2018 and you will see that there was two million five hundred fifty nine thousand nine hundred fifty nine science and engineering articles published around the world and now in 2020 the number of scientific articles by itself just science no not a mixture of engineering was above four million of scientific articles and yeah. uh, okay the last stat should be taken with a pinch of salt because i found this reference in wikipedia and they tried to trace it back 
but I couldn't really verify. So the four million is uh, it's from Wikipedia. So just <laughs> okay, take it right. with a pinch of salt. But I think evidently there's um, there 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 yeah the, these numbers keep increasing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the next question that I thought about was: Does the quantity equate to quality in scientific research? And the fact that only 45% of articles published in top scientific journals receive citation within the first five years uh, of publication suggests otherwise. 40, 45% is it? 45% wow. of uh, articles published only in the high top journals receive a citation um, so 55 in the first five years. Don't even get any Don't citation. even get any recognition. Wow. That's, um, additionally, that's less than 50% of cited uh, papers receive more than one citation, and up to 25% of those citations are self-citation, highlighting <laughs> the potential for bias in citation practice. Yeah. While producing a large quantity of research uh, can be important, ultimately it is the quality and impact of the research that truly matters. So um, there is already this background uh, information we have here that you know there is more and more scientific publications being released but they're not being appreciated or at least some of them are clearly better than the others yeah and some of them are either so insignificant or so poor that are not even worth mentioning or by the means of citation you know yeah so it definitely indicates that the it's the increase is an indicative of good quality because they're not no. getting cited so but yeah because it keeps happening I was wondering what is the incentive for keep producing these large numbers of uh, of the papers. If, I wonder <laughs> if there is like you know, not that people don't care, but loads of them goes under the ra radar and nobody really makes a noise about them. So <laughs> this is what I thought about: academic institutions and university frequently use the numbers of publication to an individual's credit as the measure of comp competency. Scholars who publish infrequently or who focus on activities that does not result in publication, like instructing undergraduates, may find themselves out of uh, contentions from many teaching positions. To put this in perspective, if there is a fixed number of honors, such as, uh, let's go to the extreme, the Nobel Prize, <laughs> then their people will be left out who nonetheless contributed significantly to the advancement of human knowledge, but yeah, they just were left out. There is only a finite number of papers uh, accepted for publications in Nature, Science, or PNSA, and there is only a finite amount of grant money that can be distributed. There is only a fixed number of positions at top universities. Yeah. Therefore, not everyone can get their research funded, their paper published, or their target in their target journal, or gain a professorship. The necessity to continuously release new publications to secure academic posts leads to the use of the publish or perish phrase. It could be portrayed that the researchers scramble to publish whatever they can manage instead of spending their time on planning and developing significant research agenda. The pressure to publish or perish also detracts from the time and effort professor can devote to teaching undergraduate uh, and postgraduates. And I think this is one of the uh, very important points that, you know, you, you start your postgraduate uh, position like masters or or a phd and you're supposed to be considered uh, that you're still you know being trained in these techniques and uh, you're still being trained in the field but there is this immense pressure on put on you that you do have to um, you do have to publish yeah, yeah, um, yeah because yeah you you already know that uh, 
without without recognition in your field, it's gonna be very hard um, to 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 go anywhere. Yeah, you know? the problem is is like there needs to be a metric to measure your performance in yeah. academia, and that's the main way it seems like that they use they use papers published impact factor of these papers yeah and um and, frequency and, and, and frequency and like it all and then even with that then that decides on like funding grants all that kind of stuff so it's like um it's it's a catch-22 where you have to increase you have to increase your amount of publications to get uh to get funding but then that leads to like over 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 publications more pressure being put on it um and it's just um it's just the way things have evolved it seems like where yeah it's just more more and more pressure being put on it's just basically you keep comparing numbers among then the person next to you if you both go for a job you just compare numbers it's it's kind of funny because you as the question you asked like it, what do we need numbers and like to 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 measure data um where and i said yeah you do but then you're like then this that leads to this where people have to uh justify their research by how much papers they are publishing mm. how much what their work is doing and um and it's just that, and like wh- what you're saying is just like snowballing into this huge industry where yeah. huge uh uh, journals now loads of journals that are willing to publish take anything um, and, and they're just taking advantage of this whole system so yeah. it's um yeah really me- it's really uh it's not it's not a good system um, for someone who doesn't know uh when you f- when you write a publication and you send it off to the journal to be published it yeah, gets yeah, um it uh it has to be sent for a peer review which is a form of a a quality control check whether your whether your your publication is scientifically sound and this is not done by the journal this is yeah. done by a scientist to whom the paper is being sent yeah this work is done for free yeah, yeah no yeah. one is paying you money to review someone else's work then you either as an uh, as a reviewer you can say that the paper is sound or you can say that maybe it requires some additional work depending on your assessment then the paper can be either a published or b go for more work back to the authors and then back again for the review so let's assume that your paper was uh, accepted for publication it's being posted on the on the nature on the scientific journal website and then the journal can charge up to like 50 60 100 dollars uh, for, for this paper to be to to get the access yeah. to this paper so these publishing houses and these journals they make money out of slave work basically yeah yeah because we don't see a, an a cent of uh of, of this money that the journal is getting from uh from the scientist yeah, uh, yeah because yeah. just to just to get the work published like you know and like so, they yeah you have to pay for like service fees or oh you like, also have to pay to get published as well yeah I yeah and it's like that. yeah uh, yeah i i seen that funny there's a tiktok guy who, who i think he's dr glocken bomb or something like that and he was done about that with nature and you're like 
oh we'll just we'll just charge them and for and he's like for what and he's like oh like to for um processing fees and they're like it all it's just uploaded to a website that's all it is a pdf like how is that gonna cost that much money and he was like they'll pay it still and they're like why and they're like because they're nature they need to get they need to publish in order to to get the funding to get prestige uh so they'll doesn't matter what they charge you will pay and i think that's very sad yeah it's a sad it's it just it. yeah so i think we have we have soundly established that publishing papers in itself it's seen as a currency within the academia so yeah. so this is the one reason why we see so many papers being uh being put it out there because th- the more you have to your name the more prestige you have the more prolific you seem more productive you seem as a scientist and then that increases your chances to um yeah, to be, as you mentioned, to uh, get the funding, get the, get the grants, get a better job, perhaps be invited as a key speaker to uh, to a conference rather than you yourself sending abstracts and stuff like yeah. that, the, the conference will ask you. But there is also a, another side to this. Though the fact that the high volume of publication uh, to one's name can be considered a form of currency in academia, there is a price one has to pay for being able to earn this currency. And now I want to talk about stress and how publish and perish culture is connected to it. Yeah. So I'm, because it is stressful. It is. Oh stressful. yeah, definitely. So uh, the more. So this is this is an interesting psychological concept that I'm going to throw on you right now. <laughs> so the more time. Uh, the more we, the more time we spend with someone or something, the more familiar we feel about them or it, and we develop pre- preference for it. Repeated exposure, so repeated exposure increases increases familiar, familiarity. This effect is known as the mere exposure effect. Frequent exposure to an individual through the various media platforms and discussion among friends about that person. Uh, can lead us to perceive uh, this individual as more significant and attribute exaggerated characteristic to them, regardless of whether those traits are positive or negative. Yeah, you sure you all have to do is look at the news and yeah, <laughs> like some rare event. It's like, oh my god, this this is happening every day now. It's like so no, basically, it's just, yeah, um, um, yeah. So exposure creates familiarity. So in the context of academia, the culture of rapid and consistent publication can also contribute to the perception of an individual's importance. If someone is publishing frequently with a stream uh, of research articles, innovative ideas, significant contributions to the field, opinion opinion pieces, media appearances, uh, involvement with patients or causes, they are likely to be seen as experts in the area. They probably are experts in the area, but yeah. they are more likely to be perceived as an uh, as an expert in the area. The highest recognition in academia is typically obtained through publication in high impact factor journals. Um, the more publication one has in such journals, the more respect they tend to receive. This increased respects can, in turn, lead to greater opportunities for grant approvals. Something that we have already uh, discussed: the uh, more papers equal more currency you can spend. Additionally, having a well-known name within the field can make it easier to publish paper, papers with large publishing houses, creating a self-reinforcing cycle. 
This can be particularly stressful for young researchers who are in early stages in their careers and need to make a strong impression. The desire for recognition and status is often, is often evident in academia, um, and as one becomes more respected and recognized within their scholarly community, there may be less pressure to continuously showcase oneself to others. And this is super clear when you look at some professors who are recognized everywhere. Uh, they are super chilled. It seems like nothing ever bothers them. They're fairly established and they don't really have to they don't have this pressure to okay. keep publishing articles so once for you get them. To the top, the high, the top. Yeah, then you, uh, then the, you can kind the, of the pressures are. Yeah, the hassle is not there anymore. You know, they rather than hustling for being a first paper, they are being invited to to be on the outer outer sheep list. Um, if you're a professor and if you're like leading study, you could. I'm not saying that they don't do anything. But even if they have like a minimal work input, they will still find themselves on the on the paper. And this is like not true for young research uh, investigators or young research young researchers in general. They have to hustle a lot, and they uh, they have to have their fingers in all the pies just to be interconnected everywhere. And you have to showcase yourself. So, do you think that the the quality of their work work is going down? When for those hyper ambitious people who who feel the pressure that they need to produce sound science i don't think they produce crappy science because they i think it's part of this mindset where you really want to publish like the best work that you can yeah, do yeah. but you do put on yourself this pressure that if you're not go if you're not gonna do this then you're just gonna be nobody okay so on the on on, on one hand you have um Sure, we have individuals that can, yeah, which we will talk about, like kind of skew the results a little bit, maybe make some sloppy science and get it out there. And because there is so much inflation with the publishing houses and different predatory journals, it just gets easier and easier to publish. And uh, yeah, and once you once you publish, you're more likely to become a, be be relevant, even if. Uh, you know your your science is not as uh, as sound, and then the other side is like these young young researchers who like try really 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 hard, and maybe frequency at which they publish is not as high, but they uh, they still feel that pressure on them because they they know they need to perform in order to to become somebody in the in the field because I yeah. currently there is no other way around it. You know you. Um, for any job application, even if you start as a, even if you go into a PhD, ask they, what they ask you for papers. How many papers have you published in your masters? Yeah, and um, you know, some people get lucky and they and they do publish. Some people get lucky and they publish in their bachelor's degree. But um, I don't think maybe it is now more common than it used to be. But I still think that. There is some misalignment if we call in like the masters and PhD like a training degrees and you already expect them to come in with the with a series of publications to their name. Yeah, so yeah. are you being trained or are you hiring someone uh on an expert in an area? Like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's it's it's a bit crazy to be asking what have you published already when going into a PhD. Yeah. And like PhD is still like a learning a, a learning experience to become a better scientist to be able to do to do research in a specific area um yeah yeah it's 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 a it's 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 a flaw very flawed system it's a very flawed system 
but we need numbers to kind of put ourselves in the line where do you stand so like you know are you like are you good are you crappy are you in the middle yeah and it's very hard to assess it if you don't have numbers and although um i was in bilbao in february and we had a discussion about publishing practices yeah and then i was talking to one guy and it is also the younger primary investigators the one that are up and up and coming they um they are kind of um, against this uh, impact factor culture how many citations do you have but some professors who are yeah at the end of their career well established and they uh, they like to be able to assess potential employees or students based on something and having uh, mm. having publications and what impact factor you published in gives them uh, some sort of point of reference what kind of a yeah, student or employee or or a scholar you are so yeah, yeah. it's hard to take it away because it's so ubiquitously used system of assessing um yeah. academics right now yeah and it's just yeah as you said it's it's like to get to the top you need to publish but like to be the best uh which like puts so much pressure on on scientists on on up-and-coming yeah. pis and it's never a good thing and, and, and it's not even that you can say that you're getting paid for the for the stress you you get no you no no like no. it's not it's not good money really no. only as you get to the very top but then you have to slave uh, away yeah. and again it's like so much is down to luck as well like how lucky you get like it's never a, a perfect reflection on, yeah. on who you are how you work but i used to think said, there was just i used to think there was skill enough but like there's so much that there luck is there like you have to be a little yeah. bit of lucky yeah like you have to be skillful but you have to be a little bit lucky as well yeah oh 100 yeah. percent, totally so talking about like the sloppy science so that's where we're gonna get into it i i want to go through some um some most popular tactics that are used for to to get around regulations and get your papers out there and uh, that kind of feed into this publish or perish uh or this inflated yeah. number of publications um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, list them out, and I wonder if you'll be able to to say whether they are about. So uh, one tactic is called salami slicing. I don't know if you can you think about what that would mean. Oh, I'd say it's like where you like keep you the results you have. You like make multiple papers from one set of results. That's it. Yeah, basically. you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. So basically, you have a big data set. That could make into a nice big publication but you feel like you want to spice up your cv so you're going to split it into three different papers and try to instead of having one paper to your name let's say in 2023 you might end up with three papers if you yeah. if you try to publish them one after the other yeah so very good evan you got the first one do you think that happens a lot have you ever heard have you ever seen that or is that just anecdotal uh, uh, so yeah it does happen yeah yeah, it, it it definitely does happen, and sometimes it could be under the disguise of like, it's better to handle smaller data. <laughs> yeah, you know, and then you just uh, and I'd say definitely for PhD students who are struggling, <laughs> and they get one, well, not not uh, getting personal. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not struggling. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, like who who maybe 
you need a few papers and they don't they're they're struggling to get enough papers like yeah. if they need a certain amount of papers to to graduate that i'm sure that definitely let's get you over the bar yeah i'm sure they're like yeah. okay but use this and do a little bit more and then we'll use <laughs> you will use that data um, it happens yeah. um double publication where were they published in two different papers is this yeah so the same material being published in two different journals with different keywords and captions and oh, wow. sometimes they give different co-authors just to throw them uh throw people off that's really bad uh ghost authors uh that's it's the one where you get people on the the paper who didn't work on it but it gives a big name yeah uh sometimes young researchers is forced to add an author who did not contribute to the research work these abusive authorship practices usually are practiced by more powerful um senior on the weaker younger researchers mm, yeah they're like oh i'll i can go on your paper yeah. it'll help improve your odds of getting it accepted uh yeah a little bit um yeah, a little bit of a power play. In your favorite BMJ, 34% um, of articles from 2013 uh, reported being involved in the study where someone had significantly contributed but was not listed as an author as well. So it's not only that they, oh, put, yeah. that they put on the senior scientists, but they also take out the younger ones that have contributed into yeah. the research. So happened, a, that happened to me as well early in my career. Personal oh, you were story. taking off the paper. It wasn't taking off. Well, it wasn't that extreme, but okay. I was. Um, I had done a work in a. It was when I was doing a research assistant, so I wasn't doing a PhD. And I found, uh, I got a result that was positive that would go be used for a paper. I'd done all the work, mm-hmm. and if it hadn't been for me, it wouldn't have got published. We got it accepted, and then of course the PI was like. I she wanted she was like they're my samples I if it was I got the samples in I did the work and and establishing up to that point I want to be I want to be first author and then the PI said that no she yeah she she said that and she didn't even say that to my face I actually heard this from someone else from my my manager so but she the, wasn't associated with me she was she was work she was a PI under the the professor primary and I don't investigator even, I don't or a PhD um no that my my like the the professor who was the the over the whole department okay right and she was a pi under him um so yeah it was just really scummy what she did and it ended up that we were joint first authors even and at the time when i like i was 22 at that time and i i was like okay well i'm still getting first author this is not too bad but now i look back and i'm like that was like terrible like she completely sorry she stole the credit for not doing any of the work and she brought the samples yeah but she got the samples yeah exactly but like if if that wasn't if it wasn't for what i had done yeah uh and uh, like yeah she wasn't a nice i remember she went met me and she's like oh congrats like you're getting a paper and then like had been completely backstabbing me behind my back <laughs> like <laughs> like just root, ruthless like isn't it? academia they're really like it definitely breeds them psychos that are like have no problem like screwing people over and yeah and uh doing whatever is necessary to to to, to ring the ring out dry phd students to get the, their their name higher up <laughs> yeah a bit of a slave work you know god that that uh 
that was a bit of a, a rant. Uh, like I didn't. It's know okay, what had Evan. That in you me. got it out of your heart. It's fine. Um, I'm sure. Have you have you ever had any of that happen? No. Have you ever got screwed over? I'm always I'm always scared that I will leave out someone on the paper. Okay. So I'm just I'm I'm always like so anxious like. I check my outer my outer list like three times just to make sure I haven't left out someone by accident because if I do it's more that I just yeah have done it by accident rather than purposely okay. not put someone down. But is that that the this is the problem we're getting back to that people are getting on it for contributing so little to the work but like at the same time I suppose they need to get on it but then is it overinflating what what I is mean, actually being done? We would like to think that in the fair world, if you did the work, if you did the work, you get you the, the credit. Get the credit, you know. And then, but there is always an argument: what place on the authorship list you you gonna get? If if it's gonna if it's gonna be somewhere in the middle? If there is like twenty five authors and you somewhere in the middle, like it, nobody's <laughs> it gonna it doesn't <laughs> even count, you know. But um, that's okay. That's the discussion for uh, authorship lists. <laughs> it's a different. Yeah different discussion um we also have plagiarism that sort of self-explanatory and fraud where scientists attempt to sanitize their data to fit the hypothesis a little bit better uh, so these are these, these different techniques and then it all comes down uh, is this a characteristic flaw of certain individuals that feed into this this uh, this publish or perish culture or is it a more systematic problem and I think we have already agreed that it is more the systematic issue mm. rather than in individual characteristics of uh, people. Yeah, like it's it's kind of like a, as I see, like an evolutionary thing, a process where like it's selecting out people who are more susceptible to be like, oh, I'm willing to to push to do these unethical means to progress my career, but that system is in place to 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 bring that out like it's not a yeah it's not a fair system like sometimes they feel like they have to do that um whereas but um, if you if it, get in caught, another environment it might it might necessary they would they wouldn't feel the need to have to do that but yeah but if you do get caught there there could be consequences to you they could could your paper could be retracted uh, yeah so that's one of and they if if the fraud is like really really bad that could be more professional repercussions as well you know if you're a medical doctor you could lose your license if you have yeah but I, i'm not even thinking like that big like i'm sure uh, or the I, little I, things a that go a triplicate that one's out and you're like oh, well i just put it I, i'm had a long day i'm just gonna yeah but that, that comes out. down to that comes down to your in, in integrity as a scientist as well a little bit yeah but like but it's i all, think in majority it's all plagiarism it, or not plagiarism it's all kind of fraud at the end is. of the day so very Kant kantian approach something either yes or it's not <laughs> and and um i that no you're right it's always the individual individual who commits the fraud it's not the system that commits the fraud but because yeah, but as i said it it's yeah. not it, it can it can it puts the pressure it has the it has a system in place that's going to breed select out these um people to may are more likely to do this um whereas if you have more relaxed environment where it's, there's not as much pressure people won't feel the need to to, mm -hmm. to proceed with these unethical uh, so measures. one of the um so in the publication by adam con uh the title of the publication is publish 
publish and who should perish, you or, or science? He lists uh, a number of bullet points uh, in a way to kind of address these pro problems of pub uh, publish or perish. And I just want to know, how do you feel about them? Number one was, uh, do not base selection on bi bibliometric numbers. So something that we have already discussed, you know, the, the H, H factor of an individual, the impact factors they, um, they publish, they publish in. Maybe if, uh, if the importance is taken away from these things, they, they, they will not matter as much. And therefore, that could kind of alleviate, help the problems that pressure. are within. Yeah. Um, um, because if no one is looking at your H index or your impact factor of the journals, or if the impact factors even stop existing at some point, which I doubt will happen, but you never know, people will stop caring as well. I suppose it, it, it makes sense on the paper. Oh yeah, but like it never that's never gonna happen. And like um I think you always will need some kind of a metric and I think that is useful. I just think the so the how much weight that goes to it shouldn't be the case as it is now. Um and I think yeah, I don't I so I don't think because like how else do you know? Like it's it's really, really hard. But like, you can have an interview with someone, get yeah. to know them, get to yeah, know them. I, I, yeah, but it's, it's, yeah, yeah. And that's I'm not true. saying like, like you know, don't. Yeah, go sorry, on. Cool. No, yeah, like in in other jobs, there's no such thing as like how much have you published. It's more about what the work you've done, what experience you have, rather but than you what can you publish. You can apply it into science as well. I'm not saying like stop publishing. Have your list of publications, but don't put the impact factor next to the journal or oh, just, just put the put the title of the publications that you have in oh, peer okay. reviewed articles like purely so just purely remove the impact factor yeah look a, i, I am way. being productive i i do publish i have publications to my name yeah. i'm the first author this is the list of experiences i have gained this is the techniques i can do this is who i am as a person and these are three referees you can you can contact to make yeah. sure that yeah. it checks out like you know i do um, think that's uh that would be a useful, useful measure. But like, obviously, there is a reason for why uh, impact factor is a thing. Well, it is a thing because nature and science want to look better than some other journals. And, you know, yeah. they, it's not like they didn't work to be the quote unquote, the best in the in the business, mm -hmm. although whether they are or not, it's a different topic. But I, I, you also wouldn't like to give up your status, I suppose. Yeah, well, they wouldn't. They won't. They wouldn't they because wouldn't they and they make a bank out of it as well. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, to the next point. Uh, in terms of grant applications, select on select out only those applications that should not be funded, and then baseline funding. So what it means is that now when you apply for grants, the uh, the the number of publication and the impact factor of the journals you publish also matters because you apply personally for a grant for your uh, as a person so what they're saying is that is for all, from all the um from all the grant applications that made it into the pool for let's say for this european con uh, ecr grant i forgot what it stands for uh, let's say you get the number of uh, of applications that came in and then you only reject those ones that are not scientifically sound. Okay. And so how you do leave you do out, that? Well, you just read through the application. And to say, oh, I don't, this, this, isn't this sound. project is just not good enough 
this project is not good enough. And then, so you, you sieve out the ones that are either the methodology is not well designed or the hypothesis is weak. There are bound to be some proposals that are just not good enough. Like it's mm. impossible for every proposal to, to be significant, right? So, it's just not. So and you then, think, yeah, no, I'm just saying it's so then that way you don't judge by how much has been work has been done in that area with the papers. It's yeah, you just judge, you just judge on the quality of the application, and then then the baseline funding kicks in, and and these applications that are of sound quality, they all receive money, mm. rather you, than rather than just making this this you know this was it top down or bottom up where just the higher you go, the lesser, lesser amount of projects get funded. And then you, at the top, you end up maybe with three projects that receive money. Oh, whereas okay. you just give money to everyone. But uh, isn't it, what you mean is that the ones that have the best, highest impact factor papers cited or are previous, or that yeah. scientists, they get the most money. Yeah. Whereas the one that maybe doesn't have as much. It's not such just, a big name. Yeah. Yeah, or and it, it's uh they get they get less money. Yeah. So I understand that there has to be some selection because you do have to separate the good from the bad, because part of science is kind of to separate the mm. the, the left from right. What is what is what, and then but then rather than focusing on who is the applicant, how many papers, how what impact factor, how many PhD students did the this 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 and that, um, like everybody gets money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, uh, that's an ideal yeah. socialistic world, but uh, it it is a way around the problem. Mm. I don't know yeah. how feasible it is. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because you're like, like it, what you say, oh, this is good and that's good. Like, okay, but like, the, is it, can you equally, can you equally give the same amount of money for something that is good? Like how you have well, to like, grade it by different types of go how good they are, how, how well sound they are. So, um, like, is it is that's the the question is like, is that fair to give someone the same amount of money as who hasn't done as much work that it's still qualifiable and interesting? But like, well, you need money. You need in, you need enough money to cover the project. So that's the money you that's should, all be should be entitled to. Yeah. Okay. And then, and then per field, I think it's fair to say that perhaps fields like humanity would require a bit less money than engineering or life but sciences. Then, then that goes like, well, why would I bother put as much work in? Because you compete against the you compete against the other projects from. But you're going to get the same amount of money, though, isn't that it? Well, you write your application, right? Yeah, and it's a good application. And you get just you get enough money that you have stated your project will will require to be run with low yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's. I I think it's definitely one of those in theory. Yeah, it sounds great, but I really don't know how it would work in practice. It's either that or l leaving it as it is, Evan. <laughs> one or the other. <laughs> it's one or the other, and and then the the last thing is peer review should ensure scientific soundness and good presentation and not identify eye-catching claims. What it means that uh, sometimes the um, editors will ask reviewers if this paper is eye-catching, is yeah. it is it spectacular, is it, is it topical, to, is it topical and that's this is this takes away from the science 
because what if what if the science is sound and it deserves to be published but your paper is not going to attract millions of uh, bestsellers like you know mm. and stuff like that so uh, and people do tend to f uh, the journals do ask questions about yeah is it topical is it popular would it bring eyes um, into our uh, onto our cover so that's just another way that 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 could be implemented and changed so just to kind of sums up uh, because we get in, we are at the end of it uh, to sum sum it up it's uh, the problem is there um, the the number of publications you have is a form of currency that we currently use to navigate the these waters of academia and uh, there are, there is a research being done how to go against it and how to fix it but this practice has been so long in the field yeah uh, in any field it's so entrenched it's, that's that's why i'm friends with you it's so entrenched right now that as everything it's gonna be a slow process um, yeah. but i think the change will come and it is coming. And do you think it is happening right now? I think like, it is. Yeah. I think it is because even young young researchers are way more vocal about the abusive practices done by some institutions. And it's not only, okay, well, I have to do this because you told me we can actually, we, ha we have our own voice now and we can fight for our rights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the one thing I'm thinking of, so, like which i think is like the, the there's a huge problem with these high impact factor journals they're the one that are dictating a lot of uh what what's acceptable for they they dictate like how prestigious your work is how well you're doing and would you agree with that for that like the journal factors dictate that well, like if you if you want to if you want to do well in your career mm -hmm. as a researcher, you need to you need to publish in high impact factor journals like high prestigious to get progress your career, and it's and it has a big impact on your. Well, that's uh, how it used to be. I think we are approaching the moment, the time of transition. I don't know how long this transitional period of time will take, but it certainly was the truth that you need you need high publications to be somebody. And I think by the just by the default of working in the field and committing to it, you will get there at some point. But I think what matters more is that the significance on those publications will be lesser compared to what it what it was. Uh, yeah, but like the the way I'm just thinking is like, okay, if that if you're going to take that away, as you're saying, and you just that people can publish, and in other journals or even free. Mm -hmm access journals is this not going to be a problem now because it's just going to lead to way too much being put out there um that's that's not maybe not that good of quality but, but, but then just, you just assume that every everything that is in nature and science is of good quality and these journals have their own retractions and they make their own mistakes it's mm -hmm. like that's why another thing that that i got from bilbao when i went there it's not the matter, the question shouldn't be where did you publish, but what did you publish? Is the soundness of science versus the what journal is being published? So I think the biggest change that we have to implement in our own heads as scientists is that just because it's nature, it doesn't mean uh, it's the best science that it can be done. Best science that can be done is published in, in journals yeah. outside of nature and science it's just it has to come from within us 
that we are able to recognize this rather than just conveniently stick to these um, entrenched beliefs. Yeah. So it's, a, it's an old way of thinking. I think like, so. yeah. oh, uh, if we don't publish in good journals, it's just going to be a wash full of bad science and yeah. stuff that's never going to be cited. And that's 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 not really, you don't think that's the case. I don't think that's the case. It's important to be able to recognize what are predatory journals and avoid them. Because, right. But there are small publishing houses that legitimately want to publish a good science. And I don't think like nature inherently is this evil organization, like the, you know, empire in Star Wars that like so great and massive, but inherently bad. I don't think that's the case either. And, but I think it is the case that we have to understand that uh, an impact factor of the journal doesn't mean that your science is always perfect and, and the best and everything that is published outside of these top journals is, is crappy because you know, the PCR, the method that revolutionized the world was rejected from nature because yeah, it was all, yeah. it had a low, low impact or something like that. Yeah. yeah so yeah, yeah. everybody makes mistakes. We, we like the convenience of having, you know, this thing that like, okay, I have like five, Does six articles in nature. I can just relax. The hassle is over. My name is recognized, you know? Yeah, it would be yeah. nice, it would be better if you could think like, I have a five or six extremely well-written scientific publications that have contributed to the field. They are published yeah. in six different journals because it, let's say each paper got published in a different journal. And that gives me a recognition, not because I have a six papers in journal in nature, it's because I have a six papers that have significantly contributed or changed the field. Hmm. Yeah. On that note, On I that will note. Yeah, that yes. was a... Uh... A nice way to yeah to answer my question yeah because I guess yeah. it's because uh, yeah again as you said so much it's at the beginning so many journals so many papers so you just want to hope that that's the case but I think I think what you said is is right um, but but in reality I only come up with this because I wanted to vocalize excuse for myself that it's okay not to publish <laughs> in Nature. And now I satisfy this and I'm a happy scientist yeah, again. Yeah, if you get, if you, if you're in further on in your career, if you get that publication, you can be like, I, I, I go back. It's <laughs> funny if they, if they ever were like, they're literally about to, they uh, approved it. And then they heard this, you on this podcast, like, oh, we're not giving this, <laughs> we're like rejecting this now. This guy can go and he can do himself. We want we want to retract that paper by Tomas Tomas uh, Tomkovic. Okay, for a second I thought. Okay, but you want to wrap it up? Yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks for that, Tom. That was no good. worries. Um, so yeah, I hope you enjoyed today. Um, I think we give you a quick overview over um, worms being used to uh, see if they get the munchies from cannabis. Uh, what the impacts of that are. Uh, and in the US, how they're they're trying to withdraw the the availability of a drug that's used in abortion, limiting abortion rights for women. And Tom gives a lovely overview of publish or perish in the in science and uh, what what how we can what we can do to tackle it. Um, and, and yeah, I thought it was really nice. Yeah, thank summary. you. Um, so that's today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let us know if you have any feedback on. on do you do you agree with the rep, um, publisher Parish? 
uh what what do you do you think it's these are good um answers to these these questions let us know on our instagram do you want to smoke weed did weed with worms <laughs> yeah exactly. do you want to get an abortion let us know <laughs> skeptically inclined at gmail.com instagram skeptically inclined and twitter at skeptically i so that was today's episode um we will anything else to add tom sorry um no uh, stay skeptical and perhaps in the next episode I just thought about it immediate, just right now maybe we can talk about the pint of science that we are both involved yes. in Netherlands and in Ireland res- respectively yeah and we might have our guest potentially he's common hot it's very hard to organize dates yes, but I'm working we have on it. A, someone really close yeah, but yeah maybe we can't guarantee but we're hopefully hoping um, okay uh, and on that note skip sk- sk- Stay skeptical, guys. Stay skeptical. Bye. Bye.